Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. This is Dan Moore, and today I am delighted to have as our guest Mr. Michael McMillan. Michael is multifaceted in his success. He is an award-winning designer. He's a best-selling author, a sought-after public speaker, and a business consultant. It's interesting because many people can design and create beautiful things, and Michael has been recognized for that. But he's also been recognized because his work leads to real bottom-line results, and those are things that clients, partners, and stakeholders truly, truly appreciate. Among his many achievements, he provided the creative direction on Michael Jordan's pictorial autobiography called Rare Air, which established a brand-new niche in retail publishing. Several more top sports performers, including Mario Andretti, have also utilized Michael's abilities to carry them forward in a fantastic way. As a speaker, he's sought after on several continents. In fact, he was invited to Dubai when the United Arab Emirates launched its National Innovation Initiative to share his thoughts with the investors and the entrepreneurs and leaders of the UAE. Sorry, UAE. Uh, his current books include Paper Airplane, A Lesson for Flying Outside the Box, The Power of Teamwork, which he co-authored with the Blue Angel Scott Bear and Pink Bat, How to Turn Problems into Solutions. Interestingly, Michael has also worked in the C-suite. He was recruited to be the chief marketing and branding officer for a Fortune 1000 financial firm. He was charged with creating the brand and did everything about that, carrying the share price from $46 a share to well over 100 in just three years' time, and the company was sold for more than $4 billion. Michael, you're highly accomplished, and we are very delighted to have you on the Action Catalyst. Thank you, Dan. I'm glad to be here. Well, many of our listeners are, are in the early stages of directing their own lives and their own careers, and they're always interested in beginnings. Can you share how you got started with design and how that led you into the other aspects of your life? Okay. Well, that's going to start back a little, uh, a little deeper probably than, than, than a business career. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was in school as a grade school kid, I went from being a, really bright, exceptionally incredible, gifted kid from kindergarten, starting moving into first grade, to what in the heck has happened to this guy? He marches to his own beat. He does he does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, kind of a thing. And uh, I was either a, a misunderstood kid or, you know, kind of kid that you better not hang around with him because he's got a, he's a different kind of a kid or what, whatever the case may be. But what, what actually happened is um, uh, I, I I have dyslexia. And so, uh, so I say learning differences and, uh, those went undiagnosed for my, my grade school, uh, days and into my high school. And, uh, <clears throat> when I was a sophomore in college, uh, I took a speed reading class because I just wanted to improve my speeding read, uh, reading and yeah, my speed reading. And, uh, the, um, it became clear that, uh, I had, you know, very stereotypical, uh, dyslexic, uh, tendencies. So, um, <clears throat> I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I, wa I walked through the art department one day and I saw this, um, 
this uh, display on the wall. And there was almost kind of that, you know, gestalt. Everything came together at one time. Wow. This is what I'm good at. This is what I want to do. And, it, and I just happened to be so fortunate to go to a school that had uh, the descendants, uh, the disciples, I guess you could say, of the original Bauhaus people that came from Germany uh, to, to Chicago. And my professor studied directly with them and started another uh, design school. And it just all kind of clicked. It just made sense to me, it, even including the way I learned um, establishing, you know, uh, Bauhaus is all about elimination of all non-essentials, form follows function, uh, having an understanding of hierarchies. And um, by studying that, I found that my capacity to learn and to execute uh, was uh, you know, escalating at a tremendous uh, rate just because of the way it presented information in, in uh, understanding in a visual communication sense of the way. So that's kind of a long way around answering your question, but it was almost one of those things that I was searching for, what am I going to do in this world? And all of a sudden I you know, came across this, this subject that I didn't know even existed. And at the time, quite frankly, um, was considered somewhat of an esoteric uh, subject matter to, to study. Uh, today, of course, you know, um, good designers are are really in demand uh, everywhere uh, for you know every kind of design, whether it's product design, user interface design. Uh, design has come to, uh, and I think largely because of Apple's uh, contribution uh, to the to the business world and to you know its consumers. Uh, they put uh, design, uh, Steve Jobs put design front and center uh, at Apple, and um, I think people realize the importance of design. And so it's it's an interesting um, it's interesting how certain things come together like that. Mm -hmm. Well, from that, what what steps led you to this amazing clientele that you've designed work for? For example, Michael Jordan. <clears throat> well, one of the things I didn't say, and and uh, and, and this is, uh, I guess you you could say, uh, inspirational component of my story, is that when I tell people when I'm speaking that I quit school in, in second grade, more or less, you know, they all kind of laugh and think it's funny. And, I, and, you know, that's, it's not true. I obviously continue to keep going, but I did graduate first in my uh, college class. And um, from there, because of that, because of the uh, program, you know, I think that they accepted 240 kids. And then um, uh, we ended up graduating 30 kids after, uh, you know, after the program had ended. Uh, it was very competitive, <clears throat> wow. so I was I was hired um, I was hired by a small design firm in Chicago. Uh, it was a startup. Uh, it had the founder had had left a very prominent design firm, and I worked there for a few months. And uh, then I found out that we were having our uh, we were about to have our second child in nine months, and we needed more money. And I was working around the clock, uh, which is pretty common uh, for for this industry when you first get out of school, certainly. And um, <clears throat> so I took a job at another firm to make more money, honestly. That was the motivation. And um, I concluded after a month of being there um, that I was incredibly unhappy. And um, uh, the, the thinking, the philosophy of the business didn't really align with what I believed was important. So my wife and I started a company Believing since we had absolutely nothing to lose other than mm -hmm. college debt that, hey, this is a great time to uh, 
to start a company. So we um, we borrowed five thousand uh, dollars from a family member uh, with the uh, agreement. We pay it back in six months, and um, we were pretty naive about business. We just went out and um, started meeting with people, and um, you know, calling clients, calling up customers, calling uh, calling up businesses, talking to marketing department. Marketing departments and, and different folks. There, there, I'd like to say that there was a far more sophisticated science to uh, to our approach, but there wasn't. It was like roll up our sleeves, let's start working. And <clears throat> once people started working with us, they really they were very impressed with what we did. And uh, one thing led to another. We just kept going and going and getting more and more people um, contacting us. I mean, we also did. We also were marketing. You know, to specific firms, we were very focused on the kind of companies that we wanted to work with. We wanted to work with um, high-profile, uh, successful organizations that placed um, quality at the top of their uh, at the top of their list. And um, we just found that there was a good alignment, and it, and it just kept growing. It, it, you know, I, I it's a strange thing how <clears throat> you know before you have any uh, you have the, you have all this ability. And you have the, uh, but you're lacking the experience. And once you once you're able to put a few things in place, and then people see what you do and who you're doing it for, suddenly you become, you know, a lot more of a hot um, commodity, or however you want to, you know, however you want to state that. But that's really that's really the story. There there isn't any kind of. Uh, uh, anything beyond that, people. We never had more than twenty five people. That was our plan. We, we just. Rather than um, <clears throat> rather than grow a large organization, we just kept uh, twenty five top notch. I mean, world class professionals, and um, so so when people like Dow Chemical Company and you know, large corporations would say, "Hey, listen, we really would like to work with you," or you know, we'd like to talk to you about you know positioning, uh, helping us position certain things, our, our company or annual report, uh, they'd come to our office and be shocked, like. Okay, is there another building? Like, where are the rest of the band? <laughs> where there has to be more than twenty-five people. You know, uh, how do you do all this stuff? And and we we did it because we we really truly uh, recruited great people, um, and, and uh, we empowered them, and we helped them grow, and they were a part of the company. They were like our family, and um, mm -hmm. that's how that's how we did it. And um, when you have that kind of a team, you know, I, I've run much, much larger teams that I inherited um, that couldn't put out, you know, a tenth of what, what we put out. Um, so it really is about having the right people in the right places, doing the right things. And uh, that's what creates synergy. And in any organization, um, you know, that, that experiences the kind of growth and the kind of uh, success that we uh, experienced uh, understands the importance of synergy. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great insight, too. Michael, when you said that not only were they great people, but you empowered them, mm -hmm. how do you know when to to let go and let somebody just run, knowing that it's your name on the bottom line of the results that they generate? That's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> I think that there has to be um, there has to be a mutual there, there, there's that mutual courting period when whenever you go to work for someone or someone comes to work for you, where there's a there's an understanding, an unspoken understanding that you need to kind of prove to one another. That you're that you should earn one another's respect and trust, and at some point, you know, some people are much faster at that, um, at doing that. Other people are, you know, they, they take a little bit more time. But ultimately, as a leader of the organization, 
uh, we did monitor things very closely until we re- until we realized like okay um you know we're, we're we're in alignment we're philosophically in alignment and um and, and it's time to you know stop being so uh, such a micromanager and and let people have the power to do what they need to do but it's something that you earn and and, and I, I feel very strongly about that no matter where you go you should really earn the 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 right to have uh to have the power that you have within the organization and then it's up to the leader to provide that opportunity. Well, a lot of very strong, creative people just can't let go. Right. So that's why I wanted to, to figure that out. And that's a great insight. And, and, and I'd be, I'd be kidding you to say that it's easy for me to do to let go. It's not easy, but I also recognize that, um, there are, that, that, a, that's the only way you can really grow and b. um, there are people that have better ideas than, than I do and uh, mm-hmm. trying to find those, trying to find people that have unique skills and that are smarter are better than you are. That's the key to uh, building a great organization. Well, it takes the right kind of humility to come to that realization though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not everybody that's talented <laughs> believes anybody else has anything they can teach them. <laughs> so yeah. Well done. Yeah. Um, now you, you grew your design firm for for twenty years, yes. consecutive years of growth, and then and then sold it. Mm-hmm. What was the motivator to move into sharing your thoughts about innovation, making positive change as a speaker, a writer, a seminar leader, etc.? I think that we, both my wife and I, uh, Anne, who is also responsible for me going to school and, and going to college and doing the things, and that's something that maybe we can talk about at some point. Um, uh, you know, finding. Um, uh, you know, we, we can get get to the idea of like the people that you surround yourself with, and, and some of the catalysts that make things happen. But um, uh, after after twenty years of raising three kids, uh, building the company, and making our family our priority, which is one of the other reasons why we wanted to have a company, so that we could, in fact, uh, if we needed to do all nighters, so that we could be, you know, at a school play or a baseball game, we were there. But um, <clears throat> We, we had just reached this point where we were getting pretty tired and said, you know, how, you know, should we bring the company public? We, we talked to a lot of different people and we ended up selling it to the employees, one of the employees. And, and, and then it kind of with the idea that all the employees would stay on and it was a great concept and it worked out pretty well. And then meanwhile, I'd written a paper airplane and, and it was doing very well without any marketing, just word of mouth. and. I got a call from a couple of speaker bureaus saying that, uh, hey, listen, we would like to represent you. And I said, okay, represent me doing what? (laughs) And they said, no, we'd (laughs) like you to come. And, you know, we've had a lot of people who have been interested in wanting you to, you know, come and speak to their, at their event. So I thought, well, hey, what the heck? It sounds like a great challenge. And, um, I started doing it and I eventually, uh, uh, you know, had a, had a speaker bureau uh, that I, that I became, you know, a part of their, um, uh, their, their, uh, they represent me. And, um, and, and that's, and I started getting a real joy out of sharing just little insights and understanding that you develop over the years and that you understand and, um, <clears throat> really being able to have a positive impact on people's lives. That's, that's the motivation. And, um, and so it's, it's both fun and it's challenging because, uh, Talking about creativity and innovation is a very abstract concept. It, it, it falls into 
kind of seems like it falls into one or two ends of the spectrum, either, oh, that's really nice. They're very creative, meaning they're not very good in accounting or, you know, finance or something. <clears throat> and, or it means, uh, uh, it could become so sophisticated, so complex and so, uh, so, uh, philosophically deep that it's really hard to have a conversation. So I work towards coming from that end and bringing it into a simplified visual understanding of how we create, how we think. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and it really helps people a great deal because they start seeing where they're at on the spectrum. And once you understand where you're at, it's a lot of people will say that they're not creative, but everyone's creative. It's just innate. It's who we are as human beings. We are creators. And, um, but, but people have stopped believing in that or they've just taken it for granted because, Hey, we can solve this problem. We'll figure it out. We'll create, but they don't really think about, Oh, wow, look, something doesn't exist. So we're going to make it exist. Uh, we just take it for granted. Other people realize like, wow, that's the most powerful asset that we have. Um, and along the way, you know, they kind of, people will either start saying, look, look, I'm just the, this really creative person. And, uh, in some, and in some cases they are, but they don't seem to be getting anywhere. How come I'm not getting anywhere? And, and, uh, I like in my visual, I show that there's a circle around the box. And if we work within that circle, that's our circle of change. If we're outside of the circle, we're too far to expand the box. And in order for an idea to work, it has to operate inside the box, right? That's our reality. That's our accepted beliefs. And if it doesn't work within there, it just simply doesn't work. So some people realize like, oh, I need to get closer to the box. That's my problem. Other people realize I'm stuck in the box. But you know what? I think I can work. I can work to that circle. I really believe I can. And so it's, you know, th that's very fulfilling to go out and speak and have people have these aha moments when they start seeing where they may be gone off course a little bit or what they can do just to make some changes in their lives in a positive way. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like a big part of that, though, is reinstilling the belief in people that they are, in fact, creative. Yes. Because such a negative uh, comment, it's not an affirmation at all. It's a negation when people say, oh, I admire your creativity. I wish I were creative. When the reality is everybody... I, example I like to use is when you're caught doing something you weren't supposed to be doing, how quickly you come up with an amazingly believable story. There you go. It's a, it's a, and that's a, that's a great example. If we get put in a situation, suddenly we are ideating, if you will, like crazy. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And you have like 15 possibilities just because, you know, your mind's racing because you need to, you need to have an answer. And that's our, that's our, um, that's just such a, a strong human trait. And, and unfortunately, it's so often it's just taken, taken for granted. And, uh, you know, I was invited to, um, uh, Ohio State to speak about, um, uh, that, well, it was, a, it was a large academic, uh, um, gathering and they were talking about STEM, uh, the STEM program. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the question was, uh, should it be STEAM? Should, you know, to, uh, should we add an A for art? And, um, so they wanted me to speak about, um, and by the way, uh, if, it, if that's really what design is, if you want to say like, you know, steam, but the, um, <clears throat> I said, one of the issues with doing that, and, and this is a philosophical uh, perspective on creativity, but all the subjects that we study have been created. And so to try to put creativity in just as a byproduct or as a chapter or a category, it doesn't work that way. Uh, Creativity is at the foundation of everything. It's what keeps things alive. It's what keeps things alive. It's what created them to begin with. 
And so it's not something that you can actually break out. It's the glue. It's the magic that happens to every, every subject that we get involved with. What's what you're doing right now? You, you, you know, you don't know what this conversation is going to be, you, but you want to get messages out and like, how can I do that? How can I reach people? How can I make this happen? And in the moment, we're creating these conversations and, and they're having an impact on the people that listen to them. And, and so, you know, that, where is that? What category does that go into? It's at the, it's at the, you know, really at the center or if you, the umbrella, the, the core of pretty much everything that happens. Mm -hmm. So creativity is not an option like a better stereo system. Creativity is actually the vehicle that causes everything to work anyway. Correct. That's inspiring. Yeah. Now, a moment ago, you said you made the comment that people that we surround ourselves with are mm -hmm. incredibly important in the decision making and the shifts in our careers and in our lives. Mm -hmm. I'd love it if you could expand on that. So, <clears throat> so I'll start out with my um, um, with and I, and I whenever I speak at educational events, I always share the story because the the, the little kid in the uh, book, uh, paper airplane, Jeff. Um, you know, I, I use I use a third person to tie, you know, I, I tell the story through another, you know, another voice, another person. But um, <clears throat> when you're when you when you're struggling in school, and you you have learning differences, uh, you know, like on one hand, it's like uh, I would be called in, and I would have lectures like he's the smartest kid in the class. He he understands things that the other kids aren't even close to understanding. He, but you know what? Then he does this. Then he does that. And you get very confused because it's the first time you're going through life. You know, you're trying to put the pieces together. And so by the time I became a senior in high school, I pretty much had decided college wasn't for me on any level. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know where I, my plan was ride my Harley Davidson to um, California. Now, what was I going to do? Why was I going to do it? Well, I, I didn't have a plan. <clears throat> that just seemed to be like a, a logical thing at uh, 17 years old. And so. It was coming around for prom, and, and so my, my buddies and I were sitting around. They said, hey, you, we should go to prom. Yeah, we didn't go to prom last year. Yeah, we should go to prom. And so uh, I pulled the yearbook off the, off the shelf, and I started going through, and I saw this, saw this beautiful young woman, and I said, um, hey, you know, do you guys know her, you know? Do you know Anne? And they said, um, they started laughing and they go, yeah, she's in National Honor Society. She's really, you know, she's really, really smart. She's off the charts, you know? So, yeah, I think she's real. I, I really like her. I'm going to ask her to go to prom. And and these guys really thought it was funny, you know, like, okay, you guys come from totally different worlds. But anyway, I asked her and we went and we really hit it off. And uh, Anna's my wife now. And um, she said to me, where are you going to go to college? You're one of the smartest people I've ever met. And, and I didn't know how to even tell her that I was so not qualified to go to college. So through just conversations and starting at a, a junior college, because I really wasn't ready to go to school, um, I just I hyper-focused on being successful in education and uh, in, in academia. And um, I did very well, as I mentioned previously. You know, I graduated first in my, my class in a very competitive program. Uh, from a you know a respected four-year uh, school, and um, what 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 you start realizing is that we all have these gaps or these shortcomings. We all do. Likewise, we all have strengths. And by the time if if we start buying into our shortcomings, um, we stop forgetting about our strengths. 
and um, our identity becomes part of that shortcoming. You know, I think that uh, Marcus Buckingham gives an example of, you know, a kid comes home with, you know, an A, two Bs, a C, and an F or something like that. And what do the parents focus on? They focus on the F. And not that you should ignore the F, but maybe uh, it's um, art or it's accounting or, I'm sorry, math or something. And maybe the person's never going to be a great mathematician uh, or an artist or something. But maybe they can just bring it up to an acceptable level, like an average level. Because by doing that, the, the real, the, that A and Bs, th those things are who they are. That's what they really love. That's their passion. And if they can engage in that and, and, and really do well, then these other things won't hold them back. But unfortunately, I see oftentimes where the identity of people become tied up in their weaknesses. And then they surround themselves with people with similar weaknesses or who maybe even hold them down because of those weaknesses, as opposed to finding people that A, respect you and respect the things that you can do that they can't do. And you respect the things that they can do that you can't do very well. And, and you, and you, that's who you surround yourself with. And by doing that all the time, it's a win-win. And it just, it starts becoming like a win-win-win-win because everybody's benefiting from the strengths and weaknesses of one another. And there's a mutual respect. And that's really what I consider diversity, too. I think so often, you know, in the conversations of diversity, we get confused about that. It's really about strengths and weaknesses and finding people that work together, that complement one another. And can uh, create, you know, for, for their their collective efforts make something far greater than the individual efforts. Mm hmm. I love that. Find people who respect you because that is such a fundamental part of our own self esteem. Mm -hmm. And when our self esteem has been battered by societal conventions, sometimes we can't pay attention to the talents we do have. Mm -hmm. Correct. And through Anne was able to help elicit that from you, mm -hmm. and I think that that's marvelous and well done on that. Mm -hmm. Prom invitation took some guts. <laughs> well, I like to point out too that I, that I I hope that I contributed in some way to her as well. <laughs> and she, you know, I, was... I suspect there's no question about that. <laughs> yeah. All great relationships go both That's ways. That's right. And I think it's fantastic. Um, well, on a slightly different tack, but but I think you're getting some great info on this. What about when you hit a brick wall mm -hmm. in in the course of your career? Something that is unanticipated. You can't see around it or over it. Mm -hmm. Not sure you can ever get through it. It could be. Money has suddenly run out. A major customer has mm -hmm. dropped you. A key person on your staff suddenly quits. Technological change. You know, these these bumps in the road that are so severe, mm -hmm. a curveball coming at you so fast, it's going to hit you right in the eyes. Mm -hmm. What is your basic mindset when you're facing one of these brick walls or strategies that you found? Yeah, I think I think first and foremost is, is that um, I, I have a very uh, strong set of uh, uh, personal uh, principles or values. Um, that, that I'll never violate just, I, I, and I say never, they say never, say never. I say when it comes to your values and, and, and the principles that you live by, um, they, that you, you can never violate those. So staying true to those, um, and then let's say that something shifts in the environment, something unexpected, a competitor comes in, so whatever the case may be. Um, a lot of times people will jump ship on their values. They'll start like moving into some kind of surface thing that they don't under, understand. And even if they have partial success at that time, they usually find themselves, um, you, you know, being confused because they no longer know who they are. So I think it's like identifying who you are and what you're about and, um, 
and just continuing to look at things from multiple uh, multiple perspectives. That's where that's where having you know being surrounded by you know unique pe- people with different perspectives comes in too. So you, you know it's like okay guys, here's what here's what we have. This is a reality of the situation, and um, so so you start listing. Um, you know, the things that, what could go wrong? What could we do? What else? This is our problem. Whose solution is this? This has to be someone's solution. You know, it's, it's, we're, we're, we keep labeling it a problem. And I spend a lot of time talking about that too. Uh, that one of my books, Pink Bat, Turning Problems into Solutions. It's really about so often we label things as a problem and, and then it becomes a problem. So we're out trying to find a solution to this problem. When in fact that maybe we just need to reframe the way we even think about it, and it's not a problem at all. Um, you know, like uh, we suffer from what's called perceptual blindness, and um, I'll, I'll demonstrate that to audiences that we all experience perceptual blindness, and and people think it's you know they, they find it intriguing because of the the visuals that I use, and then during the Q and A they'll say, "But how do you how do you fix that? How do you get you know?" What do you have to do to get past that, you know, or, or make it better? I said, well, you never, you never do. It's a part of being human. We have, we have perceptual blindness. We focus on the things, you know, we focus on, when we're focusing on one thing, we can't see the other thing. Okay? We, we miss the opportunities around us because we're so hyper-focused. And sometimes the things that we're focused on, we call problems. And we stay, we are so, in, you know, we are so embedded and so, so engaged in that problem that we can't, it's hard to see all the opportunities that are circling it. Um, likewise, when we need focus, you, you know, uh, we have all these things circling around. We need to we need to get in our box, as the Blue Angels say. We need we do need to have that discipline of perceptual blindness. You, you don't want to have a you know as a Blue Angel, you don't want to be flying at each other at a you know, cumulative speed of a thousand miles an hour and be starting to think about did I shut the water off downstairs? I want you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you need to. <clears throat> but the point is. That we had this, and so when we come to these points in our lives where it seems like there's no there's no way out, um, first of all, we try not to put ourselves in those positions. You know, we, we and I think going back to our principles, if we live those, um, we we don't get caught up in temporary fixes and you know quick fixes. Uh, we're, we're we're living a very different kind of life that typically avoids those things. But when we do, we just need to step back and say, you know, again. Is this really a problem? Um, and, and some people will say, you know, you say that, and, and I get the concept, but, um, and then they'll tell me something about their lives, or you know, they'll say, now that's a problem. And um, one one person told me one time they <clears throat> they had a child that had a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of difficulties and a lot of issues, and she came up to me after a speech and said, uh, you know, you're motivating, and I really love what you say. But quite frankly, um, how would you call this a a solution? And she started telling me about her son, and there were, there were a lot of issues that you know, she was contending with as a, as a mother. And I said, you know, I don't know right now, but but I do know that you know because of this experience what I don't know, and I know that every experience we go through, and every place that we're every time we're placed in some challenging situation, that if we stay focused and we understand what's going on. We're expanding our understanding, and through that, maybe, maybe the answer is this: you're you're going to start a foundation, or you're going to start some kind something that's going to help other people that are in your place. I don't know how to do that because I'm not in your place. You do. So the the solution 
while it's not a, you know, here's a, you know, hey, hence it, it, here's the jackpot, you know, we hit, you know, that kind of, and that does happen in business a lot of times. But in this case, it's like the, the gift is you're gaining a tremendous capacity and understanding to see people and understand what they may be going through. And you can find things that can help them. And by helping them, you're helping yourself. And your son was responsible for all this. He was the solution. Hmm. You're the catalyst. That is incredibly inspirational. I'm pulling personal benefit from what you just said, Michael. So thank you for that. You know, some 60 years ago, Napoleon Hill wrote that in every adversity is the seed of an equal or greater benefit. I agree with that. And it sounds like you've lived that over and over. Yeah. Um, how do you keep yourself on the grow? Mm -hmm. You're obviously very skilled at enabling others and sharing ideas with others. But what do you do to avoid uh, this voice that we often call Mr. Mediocrity, mm -hmm. the temptation to just want to coast and kind of take it easy and mm -hmm. surf a bit? How do you keep growing? Okay. Um, <clears throat> I have an insatiable curiosity, and I don't know how else to explain that to the point where um, I, I drive people nuts oftentimes because I seriously am interested in almost everything to the point where um, I sometimes at night, at night I'll turn on a YouTube lecture and I'm exhausted, but I feel like I need to know this. <laughs> I need to understand. I need to learn, you know, um, you know, Richard Feynman's, uh, you say, yeah, like lecture on something about physics, you know, like, uh, I, I just, I am driven to learn and know and understand. I'm always seeking truth and I'm always seeking deeper understanding. Why are we here? What does this mean? Well, if I learn this, will this, will this make a connection in my brain to, uh, to help me understand a bigger picture that I'm not seeing right now? So I really don't, I don't know how this is it, but I, I, I don't struggle with that, uh, with that kind of thing. And I never really have. Um, I, I guess that I've always been very cognizant of death and I know that I'm going to die. We're all going to die. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to waste the time that I'm here being, you know, not, not doing something and not being productive in some, in some way. Um, you know, as a, as a little kid, <clears throat> my parents, after Sunday school one time, you know, I get in the car and they said, okay, you know, I, I could tell something was up because I had an older brother and sister, five and eight years older than me. And I said, oh, where's, you know, where are my siblings at? Right. And they didn't answer for a while. Well, they we're going to, you know, they're, and they gave me some kind of like parent, you know, response that I knew something was up. And the next thing you know, we're on our way to Wisconsin. And, uh, and then I'm told, yeah, and, and they, and your swimming trunks are in the back and you can ride them. And, and I realized uh, this is going to be a horrible day. I'm going to be trapped with all these adults and I'm a little kid and I didn't want to go. Please let me stay at home. You know, no, no, you have to come on. So we ended up getting to Wisconsin. I was promised, oh, they have a mini bike. You can ride the mini bike in there. You know, well, the mini bike didn't work. All right. So then I was even more, you know, being pouty. And so um, I can't, sw you know, I can't swim. I couldn't swim. And um, so I sat by a tree and, and one of the women, there were a few couples there and one of the women came over and said, don't you want to go swimming? And I said, no, no, thank you. And they go, well, you, you just want to sit here. It's so hot. You say, I said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So I sat there um, for, I don't know, a couple hours probably. Just sat there, you know, watching the ants and just sitting there. Because I was going to prove to people that, you know, prove to my parents, like, see, I'm just going to sit here then. You know, I didn't want to come. 
kind of a thing. And then one of the women came over and said, hey, there's inner tubes in the little shed over there. You should, you should try jumping and floating on the inner tubes. Now, that woman probably realized, like, there's some reason that this kid isn't going in the pool, you know, and maybe he can't swim. So I went and got one of the inner tubes, jumped off the diving board. And I'm telling you, I had, it was like one of the most fun times being by myself in this pool doing stuff. And I just got started. It's like, we're going. Time to go now. It's time to go. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Um, I sat there for two hours or whatever. And then um, I got, you know, I got these inner tubes and it was, I was having a blast. It's time to go. And, and, and I just saw that as like a, a strange metaphor towards life. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want to find an inner tube, you know, at some point and say, how come I didn't try that earlier? You know, well, what was I, what was I sitting by the tree pouting about? That's what people do sometimes in life. I think, you know, we, we tend to sit, you know, sit by the tree and, and, and pout to, to prove something and we're, we're just hurting ourselves and, and we're missing out on a whole bunch of fun along the way. And, and, and so I, I think about life in, in metaphor a lot. And, and I think that it's those lessons like that in, in, in our younger childhood that really, you know, so often, you know, we talk about like business experiences, but when we understand those things that are in our childhood, um, it's hard to, you, you know, I think about some of the, some of the challenges that I, that I overcame as a kid. And then you're in business and you're, and you're, you know, dealing with, you know, somebody who's very difficult or they're, you know, real intim or, you know, attempting to be real intimidating or, you know, wh whatever the situation may be. And you just think like, I, I get what's going on here, but it's not even close compared to like third grade when, <laughs> you know, when this happened, you know, it was third grade was far more devastating than, than the CEO, you know, trying to intimidate people. Um, and so, you know, I think we just learn from life. We learn from living. And the more we, the more we drink it in and, and absorb it, the, 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 the more meaningful it is, the greater our understanding is. Um, so I don't, I don't struggle with the falling into mediocrity. I, I just, or, or kind of like just accepting things. Um, I, I also, you know, you brought up earlier on, is it difficult to let go? Um, I do fight perfectionism. Um, I, quite frankly, I find uh, medi mediocrity repulsive. And uh, it really, it irritates me. Um, it, it, I'm helping my son right now. He bought a house and um, he, uh, the, the former owner misrepresented a lot of things. And we found out that the infrastructure needs a lot of work. And so I told him that I would help him do it. And as I'm working on it, I, I really take the great pleasure out of working with my son. It's fun. You know, we're working together. We're talking about it. It's just a, it's a great experience. I also look at the people who did this work. It's substandard. It's, you know, it's just those types of things. It's the infrastructure and it's the underlying foundation of things that need to be done right. And when they're done really at a high quality level, the other stuff starts manifesting. Um, mm. and, and when they're done in a sloppy fashion, you know, you're, you're always fighting it. You're always trying to fix and, you know, make things happen just because they weren't done right initially. Mm -hmm. Michael, I'm, uh, I'm inspired. I want to thank you so much for what you've shared. Uh, the way your mind works, I find fascinating. I love the things that you said, in particular, one in just a moment ago, we learn from life, we learn from living, provided that we're willing to do so. Yeah. And that is a phenomenal lesson for our listeners and for me personally. 
Thanks, Dan. I enjoy your show, and and, uh, and, and thanks. It's an honor to have you uh, invite me to be a guest. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.